Now, in the last series, we dealt with all the end states, all the wrapping, <clears throat> wrapping up of those who opposed God, opposed Christ, and warred against the saints. We finally came to uh, the point of focusing on what happens to Satan, the prime architect, and to a great extent, eschatology has to do with the bringing to bringing to account Satan and his activities within creation. We know that Satan has been described repeatedly as that ancient serpent which puts him back in the Garden of Eden, the dragon, the devil, or Satan. So in the variety of names, we see an array of the characteristics of Satan, all of which in brief speak to the resolute opposition to God that he represents, first in heaven and then on the earth. Uh, initially in heaven, uh, he, he was uh, an, the, perhaps the archangel of greatest significance among the angels, but uh, determining that he should have been the appointed heir of God, feeling insulted and passed over when God elected uh, to create man in God's image and God's likeness, or at least creating the first Adam uh, to produce the last Adam in the flesh, in the earth, and the last Adam would be God incarnate in a form upon the earth. So I don't know, for, because as far as I can tell, the scriptures did not seem to indicate, at least I've, I've not been able to find it in scripture, that God revealed the entirety of the plan uh, to creation. Uh, to the angels in heaven. But what is clear is God had two stages for bringing this plan into focus, the plan being a man in the image and likeness of God. Now, pardon me, it's impossible, it's impossible for God not to know the end of every matter from the beginning. So when God said, let us make a man in our image and likeness, we may properly assume that God had already considered the end of the matter from the beginning. So nothing was going to be an evolving, uh, an evolving understanding by God Himself. The revealing of the plan, of course, uh, evolves not in the sense that it's untethered to a pre-existing or predetermined 
path. Uh, in, in that sense, evolution is not to be understood as something that doesn't know where it's going and just becomes whatever it becomes. No, God knows the end of every matter from the beginning. So what happens in the end is always going to conform to what God knew in the beginning. Nothing will surprise God, nothing is erratic or um, free-flowing in the sense of God not knowing where it's going. God knows where it's going. Within that parameter, of course, God permits free will. It's erroneous to suggest that free will is without uh, boundaries. We, we must stop thinking about free will as the right to do whatever we want to. Free will uh, is limited by the choices that God gives. For example, man has free will to determine whether or not he will accept the salvation of Christ. He does not have free will in determining how he will relate to God. He only has the free will of choice, but the choice has been presupposed or preempted. God establishes the boundaries of choice. Man does not simply invent them as he goes along. Even though at times he's able to uh, be extreme in his choices and in that sense perhaps unpredictable, but never beyond the boundaries that God has set. You know, the capacity of man to do good or to do evil, uh, God sets limits certainly on the side of it to do evil. Uh, Satan at some point became aware of at least some aspects of the choice of God's choice for man as the heir. And of course, all of that choice was not related to the first Adam because God had in mind before He created anything, before He created man, before He created the angels, before any of that, before there was anything known as creation, whether of the heavens or of the earth, God had already determined in the manner of the end from the beginning what a man in the image and likeness of God would look like. And inevitably, since we're talking about God who is a spirit, such a man in the image and likeness of God, the very terms image and likeness presuppose that in creation there would be someone who is like God. Well, God is spirit. Even the incarnate person of Christ is spirit clothed in flesh. So God is spirit, therefore, inevitably, a man in the image and likeness of God is spirit. Spirit, in this case, spirit clothed in flesh, but that man is not limited to an existence upon the earth. That man exists both in heaven and on earth. 
And uh, one of the certainties about this man is that he is a son of God. Scriptures are very plain on the matter. They say, uh, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit, and therefore whoever will be a son of God is a spirit being, but of necessity he has to be born again because he's first born of flesh, he's subsequently born of spirit. Romans 8 delineates for us the process by which um, that occurs. And in the entire matter of adoption, we become aware of how man who is born of flesh becomes born again of spirit and assigned the status of being a son of God. So there's, there's much more to all of this and some of it I've already addressed at length um, in previous recordings. Now, in opposing God, Satan chose the only likely basis of a successful opposition. Uh, he lost the round in heaven and was he lost the round in the highest heavens, the round of that war, and was relegated to the second heavens. So he's described as part of the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And subsequent to all of that, and according to Revelation, the 12th chapter, toward the end of the age, he's cast down. He's cast out of the second heavens and he takes up uh, his prepared position on the earth and that prepared position is one in which he gives his power, his throne and great authority to the beast. So he works out his final stand as it were against God in this ongoing war and targets mankind and specifically targets the sons of God in creation, those who are born again of spirit, those who carry the spirit of God and those who are being made into the, the likeness of God. Image and likeness, image represents um, the, the, the different words for the word image, the two principal words are icon and character, C-H-A-R-A-K-T-U-R. So man is both, in the sense of icon, we think of a photograph as iconic or, or a representation, and we think of character as being stamped in the mold of, like the way you would create coinage. In terms of icon, we are spirit like God is spirit. And in terms of character, we are uh, in His, uh, we, we carry his, his nature and we are then subsequently made into His likeness which is as He is holy, so are we holy. As we are 
not only spirit, but as the character of our spirits mature through the stages of sonship, implying all of what conditions us to be like Him, learning obedience by the things we suffer, growing in favor with God and man, um, such matters, progressing from glory to glory. Eventually, that which is a child, Napios, becomes Weos or a fully mature man, a fully mature son, and that son, being neither male nor female, that son is a corporate man. Even though individually we are made to be mature, the assembling of us in the earth together is that corporate man who in, its, in his maturity, in his maturity, this many-membered man is, is possessed of the likeness of Christ. So Satan makes war against this because his intent is to show that God made the wrong choice and all of his mischief becomes increasingly um, sinister and uh, wicked, ultimately ending up being the personification of all that opposes God, which is the definition of evil, unbound by any restraint of God's character. Satan made the assumption that because he served in a high position uh, before the fall, before his fall, um, that he was entitled to the recognition, the prize recognition of all creation is to be associated with God as God's offspring. And so he set out, he adopted a strategy and he set out to perfect that strategy of eradicating man to prove that God made the wrong choice. In eradicating man, uh, he essentially seeks to set man against God, beginning with the Garden of Eden. And by that he hoped to prove that man was unworthy of this designation of the representation, image and likeness of God, ab initio, from the very beginning. Well, we see the challenge to God presented early in the story of creation in the Garden of Eden, a contradicting of what God had said to Adam and Eve. But it moves from that and it grows up into a full-blown alternative to God and to everything that the kingdom of God and the expression of God's authority, rule and purpose in the earth through mankind was supposed to, to put on display. So in the end, the test is, does Satan succeed in crushing that which represents God and in the collection of human beings 
as the sons of God, the body of Christ, the Corpus Christi. So in the end, the, the target of Satan's vituperation is inevitably the expression of Christ in the earth, God's Son, as it were, in the earth. The Son, of course, is comprised of head and body, Christ being the head, ourselves being the corporate entity. So that's the target. And the war is about that. The war is to corrupt, to corrupt the expression of Christ in the earth so that God has no alternative but to destroy it because it's unworthy, unfit, and so on. The formed opposition to that and the reason Satan gives his power, his throne, and great authority to the beast is that the beast hopes to crush and devour the whole earth inclusive of the saints. What, what Satan did not count on but what God knew from the beginning was that by coming into the earth in the form of Christ, the incarnation of God in the earth, he would restore what God had initially put on the earth as his representation but which fell. God put Adam, the first Adam, in the earth. God knew it would take two Adams, the first and the last. God knew that from the beginning. So the last Adam, the last Adam is described as the lamb slain from the foundations of the world. And the last Adam is inherently designed to be a spiritual man, God himself clothed upon in human flesh coming to represent, to present again the original intent of God, to have a man in the image and likeness of God. In fact, such a man begins, such a man comes to be the collection point of every part of that which represents God in creation and such a man is called the body of Christ. Let me pause here for a moment and talk a little bit about a troubling folly that is in the earth today. Uh, it's connected to a teaching called the seven mountains and the thing that it is is called, they, they like to, they like to um, put these things in seemingly ponderous terms such as, and this one is, the dominion mandate, the dominion mandate. And the proponents of the dominion mandate claim that because God gave Adam, the first Adam, the command to rule the earth, have dominion and rule the earth, that that dominion was never revoked and so the task of the, of the proponents of the dominion mandate, the task is to take back dominion over creation and the plan to do that is to infiltrate the seven systems that they've identified in the earth as that upon which all human 
activities or that in which all human activities are gathered. Now, the, the fatal flaw in this argument is this. It assumes that the dominion mandate conferred upon man, conferred upon Adam, plenary authority. Plenary authority means that you have authority uh, irrespective of what, uh, what other uh, authority opposes you. No, that was never true. God never gave Adam plenary authority. In creation, there's only one source of plenary authority. Otherwise, God is incapable of judging man whenever man acts within the scope of plenary authority. There are only two types of authority. One authority is plenary, meaning it is in itself the original source of authority. The other is delegated authority. Delegated authority must always be accountable to plenary authority because the authority of delegation is pendant to, it's derived from plenary authority. So God in creation has all authority. Man only has delegated authority and the original what is called dominion mandate, the character of that, uh, of that gift of authority is just that. It was a gift of authority. It was not the conferring of original authority. It was delegated authority. Man abrogated his place and therefore abrogated the delegation of authority so he could no longer lawfully claim authority when the, when the one who established him had been rejected as the one to whom he's accountable. It did not suddenly then morph into original authority or plenary authority, it was lost because delegated authority it is required that delegated authority be accountable to plenary authority. Otherwise, delegated authority becomes plenary authority and plenary authority cannot judge delegated authority once it becomes plenary in itself. So if, you, if somehow the thing that received delegation, delegated authority suddenly takes that authority and can sustain it, the test as to whether or not a thing is delegated authority or plenary authority is the matter of whether or not the possessor of authority may sustain that authority against all comers then that person is sovereign because the ability to sustain that authority against all challenges makes it plenary. But man never possessed 
plenary authority and doesn't possess plenary authority in creation. That was never the original grant. Man was always meant to be the son of God and therefore the representation of God, the concept of a viceroy. The French words vi from voir and roi which is king, so viceroy to see the king. The invisible God could be seen in his son and and especially in the authority of his son to rule. If rule, when the rule that God gave to Adam was designed to put God on display, not Adam. So it's, and these fellows can be pardoned, they're not, they're not um, students of jurisprudence. They do not understand foundational law. This is Jurisprudence 101. It's the question of of, uh, the source of the authority to govern and whether that source um, is plenary, meaning you're not accountable to anybody else, or whether it's delegated, in which case you can give it up. Adam gave up when he submitted to Satan and the, the, the lies and deception of Satan, he gave up the right to be a representation of God in the earth. And that is the condition of man, that was the condition of man until Christ. It's the whole reason why the second psalm reinstitutes Christ as the last Adam. But when that happened, it was to move the matter away from the physical creation and to center upon the kingdom of God. Jesus would say that himself, that in the earth his kingdom was not of this world. Why would that be important? Simple. All of the earth will pass away. There will be new heavens and a new earth, but the kingdom remains forever. It's important to understand these things because in Satan's war against mankind, the principal thing that he neglects to address is the power and the authority of the kingdom of heaven that now re-energizes mankind, mankind in Christ. That is why the scriptures then tell us, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but we wrestle against principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The book of Ephesians was begun as a letter from Paul to the Ephesians and principally a letter of Paul to the Gentiles to remind them of uh, these principal uh, things. Number one, what is the hope of his calling. What number two, what is his glorious inheritance in the saints? The his here being God's. What is the hope of God's calling of us? And we're called into Christ. What is God's glorious inheritance in the saints? And number three, 
what is the working of God's mighty power on behalf of those who believe. Now the introduction in Ephesians 1, uh, this was part of the introduction in Ephesians 1, but it goes on to say that we we were created in Christ Jesus before before the foundations of the earth to the praise of His glorious grace. So the intended venue for the display of divine power and indeed dominion was the superiority of the kingdom of heaven over any construct of Satan in the earth and principal part the the superiority of the kingdom of God over the cosmos and its systems. So what comes into judgment at the end of the age are the systems of the cosmos evolved in response to, uh, evolved as a consequence of Satan having seized dominion over creation and using all the resources of creation to create a kingdom that is the alternative to the kingdom of heaven. It's like the dominion mandate theory and the seven mountains, they're off on another planet, totally irrelevant to the struggle that is, has now ensued, that ensued from the beginning and has now reached its apogee. But it's classic. It's this sort of uh, deviation from the norm is exactly how Satan would throw mankind off track and have them focus on the wrong thing. Now the dominion mandate appeals to people in much the way Amway appeals to people. It appeals to the vanity of persons who think that they're not being given their due in life. They think they're entitled to more and they think they're not being given their dues. The, the, the people to whom this gospel appeals are not, not capable, they're, they're not, they don't understand, they've not applied themselves to the understanding and therefore do not understand. Um, they see opportunities to get people to agree with them and to become famous and perhaps even wealthier than they ordinarily would be working at regular jobs. But in the end it doesn't benefit the cause of Christ, it benefits they themselves. And the mindset of that is harlotry. But it's a thing that's captured the fancy and the imagination of a church that has long stopped listening to God and really doesn't know what God, what the ways of God are about. This is a time when that level of deception is dangerous because what's come into conflict are these two kingdoms and you're not going to win the battle by entering the domains that Satan has established that are designed to serve him with some paper mache sword, calling it uh, 
that which will destroy Satan. It's silly. More than silly, it's just dangerous for the people who follow it. It's not dangerous for people who know the the truth and it poses no threat to Satan. It's simply dangerous to the people who follow this silly, idiotic, I, I don't have the words for it. You see, I'm no longer pretending even to be tolerant of those who have led the people of God astray with every with cunning and crafty doctrines that lead the unwary, the uninformed, the uneducated in the truth, people who, who go to church. If you're hearing these things and you've been on the edges of this dominion theology and seven mountains theology, get out of that stuff. Its future is a train wreck. It's taking a paper mache sword into a battle that requires the Word of God, the truth, the the person of Christ uh, leading the charge. Satan is only going to be destroyed Well, Satan is going to be, the authority of Satan is going to be stripped from him and he is going to be imprisoned in this bottomless pit we talked about in the last set of teachings and that for a thousand years. When we come back, we'll now look at and begin the discussion of what happens in the millennium. But I thought to sound a warning against the foolish doctrines of the seven mountains and of the farcical notion of dominion mandate conferring plenary authority when it was always just delegated authority which could be abandoned and was abandoned when Adam was deceived. What Christ restored was not dominion over the planet in the sense of us being able to take over and rule governments. What Christ restored was the primacy, the primacy of the kingdom of heaven over all other kingdoms. But the advance of the kingdom of heaven was going to take place as the saints mature and put this glorious kingdom on display in juxtaposition to the kingdoms of the earth that will inevitably begin to fail. And God's hope is whoever loves God will see the glory of Zion appearing as that city upon a hill and will be drawn to it because we offer solutions and all of the constructs of Satan are beginning to collapse in upon themselves. I'm Sam Solon and we will talk more about these matters as we go forward. Thank you for listening and God bless you. Bye now.